You are listening to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Podcast from Petaluma, California. Here is this week's Adult Sunday School class. Be awake, not woke. And uh, as I always start out, a reminder, we're not talking politics. Yes, this is a topic that gets talked about in a lot of politics, but there is an underlying ideology that we're actually wanting to talk about and match up uh, the world's worldview versus a biblical Christian worldview. And as our culture is out thinking and talking about some of these ideas and advocating for some of their ideas, uh, what should we think and how should we contribute to the conversation uh, from many different points of view, of course, from a, from a uh, just speaking into the betterment of our society to an opportunity to bring a biblical truth to an opportunity that leads ultimately to bringing the gospel and some of the apologetics that will come along with that as we think through some of these issues. And of course, reminder, as we've been uh, working through this, we, we started off with that introductory lesson where we read from Ephesians that idea that scripture calls us to, to uh, uh, wake up, O sleeper, and we need to engage in the culture. We sort of started with a little bit of a sermon from Ephesians, well, sort of a call to why this is important. Uh, then we got into thinking about critical theories. And the critical theory that really underlies a lot of the, the woke way of thinking, putting people into sort of two categories. If you're in a position of authority or under authority, and people who are in authority tend to be the oppressors in the worldview of, of, of woke thinking, and the people who are under authority tend to be the oppressed uh, in the worldview, and it's systemic uh, component to this, sort of whether you're trying to be that or not, woke thinking thinks that that you are inherently that, and if you're in multiple categories, an intersectionality idea that they bring out, if you're in multiple categories of, of, of oppressed groups, and all the more uh, you are um, an oppressed person who, who we need to you know, uh, address. And um, we've, we've been analyzing that thinking along the way. We, we spent quite a bit of time applying that in the topic of discrimination. We talked about different categories. Of, of discrimination, some of which we can embrace, some of which we couldn't embrace, and even then, even in those categories where we might have some concerns with them, what is the solutions? Uh, what are the solutions? So we've, we've kind of been working our way through that, and then more recently we had uh, talked about the idea of abuse, which is a category we, we can share in, but uh, woke thinking sort of has certain ways of thinking about abuse of which we can't go on board with everything that they've that they've said. And so then last week uh, we said, let's think about some of the ways then when we whether we call it abuse or just simply seeing one people, one person sin against another, how do we promote reconciliation? What does biblical reconciliation look like? And and so that's the topic that we've been talking about last week and we'll, we'll continue today is the notion of, of justice and uh, uh, conflict resolution from a biblical standpoint. With that being said, last week I focused more on what are some of the ways that the woke woke uh, way of approaching justice and resolving these matters, what are some of the areas that they, they might struggle in in terms of justice? And, you know, for example, we talked about um, uh, things like uh, getting rid of innocent until proven guilty, due process, um, things of, 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 of that sort. Um, one of the uh, interesting, uh, just as way of introduction here, uh, you know, Marlon and I had an interesting conversation uh, afterward about some of that, is that you know a lot of the stuff we've covered, these problems are not necessarily unique to woke theology, theology, woke ideology, meaning, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, and a lot of the problems we find in some of the woke ideology, you can find in other places as well, down through history and still in other circles still today. And so some of the stuff that we've commented on even last week, you can find other people who are suffering from the same issue, like um, believing the first report, the accuser, without considering the other side of the story. That's not a unique issue to woke. Uh, way of thinking, but it is one that seems to come along uh, with that. Uh, one of the areas I think is particularly challenging when it comes to justice under the woke ideology is go back to that critical theory. If you are the so-called oppressed person in that, 
that they tend to take whatever accusations that the oppressed person might give as sort of gospel truth because systemically they're the only ones really able to speak to the issue as sort of that woke way of thinking and I think that's sort of the systemic critical theory components that particularly uh, falter in some of this uh, uh, areas of justice. So uh, what I said I was going to do today is the other half of, of this topic, which is actually look at some Bible passages that look at um, what are some biblical principles for dealing with sin? How do we deal with conflicts with each other? And sort of engage that with, with um, some of the concerns that we mentioned last week in terms of some of the struggles for justice. But before I do that, I did mention I was going to kind of talk talk about one other aspect of, I think, a, 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 a concern of justice in, sort of a failure of justice in, in some of the woke uh, approaches, and that was the cancel culture idea, uh, the cancel culture idea. Um, you guys, someone would try to, try to, Try to summarize what you understand cancel culture as. Uh, anyone want to take a, take a be brave and take a stab? Have you guys heard that language? I'm sure you've heard the language. Well, what what have you seen this cancel culture idea? Who wants to go first? Marlon, go ahead. Well, I was deferring my life. Oh. Who's <laughs> <laughs> first? Part of it is just the getting rid of any dissenting ideas. Yeah, getting rid of any dissenting ideas. The present or the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Dean? Uh, I didn't hear that. I want to. Oh, she said getting rid of dissenting ideas. Yeah. Ideas that you don't agree with, you, you want to shut them up. That <laughs> was my reads <laughs> paraphrase. <laughs> well, the, in my experience, posting things on the Press Democrat comment page is that there is a presupposition on the part of the elite down at the office there that they are the custodians of the truth and therefore they need to defend um, the, uh, the people that they're acting for from uh, the violence, they use that concept, violence and hate, uh, misinformation. And because this is an act of justice to protect people from hateful and violent utterances, they feel it should be canceled. That's, I think, how, that's my experience with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then Sarah, you have a hand as well? Oh, I was going to say that a lot of times it's also things that have maybe in the past and so they're brought forward so there's no sense of forgiveness where Anything that you did automatically holds true today, therefore, anything you do now is invalid. That's right, yeah, yeah. And, and so there's a whole bunch of, wait, even different comments I brought up, there's a whole bunch of different aspects to cancel culture. There's, there's some of it, uh, you know, in terms of people who are even long gone, right? Like, uh, uh, George Washington had a slave, therefore, we, you know, uh, we won't have anything to George Washington anymore, you know. Uh, but then, obviously, there's modern uh, expressions of it too. Martin, do you have more to add on that? Uh, uh, I think it's inside. Okay, so uh, I would say, as I sort of think about cancel culture, there may be elements um, that, again, you think of broadly speaking, you know. Um, Whenever you analyze things, you can see, you know, I, I might be okay with this component, but maybe not the way it's brought out as a whole. I, I, I think there are certainly some aspects that we might have some resonance with, that some things that might seem more like boycott um, type of stuff. Uh, but obviously, cancel culture can go a, a lot farther than that. But basically, you can see one, one I think, strand of this is that if you hold to a view, have ever held to a view, uh, speak about a view, or act in light with a view that doesn't match, as, Gene, as Dean pointed out, the official narrative by the, the uh, woke ideology, that you can be called out by the culture at large and ostracized in various ways. Those essentially can involve certain sort of punishments put upon you, 
It could be uh, economic or social punishments. Uh, for example, people have been fired from their workplace because they hold to certain biblical convictions. Or people have been told by family members, we're not going to get together with you at Christmas anymore because you hold those views. And so these are real examples. What I just pointed out, those are real things that have happened. And um, again, sort of, if I can have any sort of resonance, I can, I can imagine certain situations where, for example, certain businesses support immoral causes, things we would as Christians think are immoral causes. And, and I might not want to spend my money at, at a place like that. I might not want to support that, right? And so, you know, to the degree that people have certain freedoms and, and not wanting to support certain causes, I get it. But I do think that the cancel culture goes goes beyond that, and I, I think it has some concerns when it comes to matters of uh, 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 of justice. That's some good rain out there, right? <laughs> We're all stuck forever here. Um, you know, just some ideas of this, uh, concerns of how the cancel culture might might run into issues of justice. Um, does cancel culture essentially uh, enact punishments on people without due process? Does it, you know, give censure on people without giving them a fair opportunity? Um, you know, robbing the person essentially of their, their quote, day in court. Uh, I think there could be concerns on that. Um, I think there's also concerns of uh, how it can be humans looking, who aren't the judges, looking to execute vengeance on people. Uh, I think of uh, Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I wonder if there were concerns along those lines where people are sort of uh, uh, putting themselves as the, uh, as the uh, executioner and judge and, and, and inflicting punishments, but it's not their place. Uh, is it essentially become a form of mob justice? Think of lynchings. Um, has has cancel culture been a sort of new form uh, form of mob justice? Uh, because I think if you think about cancel culture, uh, I think a lot of times what they're canceling on are things that the person hasn't done something wrong that they're canceling, right? Like like if. If someone murders someone, you can call the police and they can be arrested and they can be brought into trial, found guilty and punished, right? But if someone exercises their free speech and you don't like what they have to say, there's no legal recourse for you to stop them. So then instead, you use the power of cancel culture to inflict your own punishment upon them for things that actually, therefore, weren't punishable because they weren't wrong. And so, you know, some of these, these challenges here, and I think even the whole idea we mentioned last time, lex talionis, that's that legal principle, the punishment should fit the crime. You know, does that sometimes cancel culture like to make someone lose their job and not be able to shop here and we won't do business with you? Um, you know, our, 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 that sort of ostracism, is that a warranted response for the fact that they didn't have the same position that you did on something? And so um, some of this can be more clear-cut than others. I do think the cancel culture, the discussion point I'm just sort of bringing out to think about is, is in what ways is cancel culture an expression of injustice? And I guess as we're talking about justice here, which is ironic because I think the woke ideology spends a lot of time talking about justice, 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 but apparently they don't use the term in the same way we want to use the term uh, as the way the Bible would have us use uh, the term. So I'll just say one more thing about cancel culture. Um, try to be as charitable as possible to some of their strategies and approaches. Whatever you want to say about it, I think we can say that we're not, we shouldn't be surprised it is happening. And the point I would make is, is in Revelation 13, 17, mm -hmm. there's the mark of the beast idea. Mm -hmm. And I think what it says here, you don't have the mark, so no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of the And this idea then, uh, this, this antichrist system is increasingly 
against Christianity to the point that, yeah, there are going to be circumstances where we literally are being ostracized from the culture and are not able, whether it be buy, sell, work, whatever, right, that we're, we're being shut out of society for a biblical worldview. Right. My perspective is that this sign that Scripture talks about is not like a barcode on our forehead, right? <laughs> and that um, it's kind of two-sided, basically, like you pointed out. It's the government system, the anti-Christian worldview, and then the Christians, right? So cancel culture will impact those that do not have a better understanding of who they are as the dignity that they have as human beings. And they're very susceptible to criticism or to um, uh, attacks, you know? And so they will be susceptible to this because I've heard, I've seen interviews of individuals that say, this cancel culture, I'm canceling the culture itself. I have nothing to, I have not, will not respond to it. I will not even adhere to it. So it is on your personal level as Christians, we belong to somebody that is divine, that has given us a perspective of, of who we are as children. And this cult, cancel culture really should should not be something that affects us. Yeah, well, and, and, and <laughs> the ways it might be affecting us, as an example, is um, if you're a Christian working at a job and and they find out that you go to a church that that uh, says homosexuality is a sin, and your and boss finds it out and says, you know, we don't want that kind of people working at our at our at our at our, uh, at our job. So this is your last day. Those would be examples, I think, that it can affect Christians, well, right? I understand that. Yeah, yeah. And so um, um, <clears throat> the point Renee's making is very important, is that ultimately our hope is not in this world. And so, like Jesus said, you're not the one who can kill just your body, right? But the one who can kill body and soul and, and, and throw you into uh, punishment, right, uh, eternally. And, and so the point being is that the best they can do, the most that they can do who are against us is kill us, right? But then guess what? We win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so yeah, we just get a speedy, a fast, uh, uh, don't pass go to go straight to glory uh, uh, card, right? Um, but uh, uh, if our hope is in Christ, they can't ultimately shake us. But in this world, we will have troubles, and, and, and part of this is to recognize that and to prepare ourselves that if we so-called get canceled, may it be, of course, canceled for the right reasons and not canceled for the wrong reasons. I think of, uh, of uh, First Peter kind of touches on that. We might suffer in this world, make sure it's because we're doing the right thing and not because we deserved it. Uh, Sarah and then uh, Renee and Dean. <laughs> I was thinking was Jack. From the Gideons was saying about when they you know, kind of being canceled themselves. It's not yeah. just no thank you, you don't want your your Bible, there's animosity, and then the newspaper gets involved. So that's literally an example of cancel right. culture, right? They literally are posting in social media, these guys should not be allowed to do what is actually in our country, uh, historically and still uh, technically uh, free speech, right? So absolutely a good example, Renee. On the aspect of justice, right? I mean the perspective from the, uh, the liberal leftist side is uh, reparations, for example. How, what, what justice is that, that I have to pay reparations for slavery when I was never even in this country at that time? Yeah. Right? You know, issues like that are just, just so crazy. A lot of issues of justice that are that are quite relevant today, absolutely. That's why I, I thought this was an important part of, of our topic here, uh, Dean. Um, on free speech, I have often interacted with opponents by saying that the constitutional guarantees of free speech were created in the recognition that man is a fallen being having difficulty arriving at truth 
And so free speech, if it is engaged in freely, helps us to get to truth. And so to cancel so-called hate speech or any speech with which you disagree is to cut you off from access to the truth. Now, if I may share a personal <laughs> opinion, if cancel culture had not canceled critical scientific remarks about our approach to the pandemic, I think a lot of less people would have died because there were voices from all around that were, that were bringing <coughs> good suggestions, critical remarks, but they were canceled. My comments were canceled on that. And so we lost out. So it's a great opportunity to explain man was created with a, an ability to grasp truth because of the fall. We now have a hard time. Free speech is good because with God's help, we can arrive at truth better and more easily. So I like that's how to bring in the faith into the debate. And uh, kind of taking that in the time of last week, you know, human justice is going to be limited, right? We're, we're, we got principles to implement. We won't do it perfectly because we're not omniscient. Even, and the same, to Dean's point then, the same thing even in terms of uh, public dialogue and discourse. There's going to be people out there who have a Christian worldview speaking truth. There's going to be people out there who aren't. And even some Christians might say things that aren't actually right biblically. That's true. And, and I, I've seen the opposite where some non-Christians actually say some right things, you know? So, so it's this interesting under the sun uh, dialogue, but we want to try what we can to promote what we can. So what I, uh, take us now to begin to look at some Bible passages to think about, again, uh, what I'm going to give now is probably not super specific to woke ideology, but um, biblical principles for when there is sin against each other. That's why I wanted us to think about this stuff. If there's these concerns of someone in authority, someone under authority, uh, you know, pressing, I want to talk in terms of sin, who's sinning against who, maybe in some cases, both sides are sinning, uh, you know, discrimination matters, there's, there's ultimately sin going on, abuse matters, uh, if in fact there's abuse or if in fact there's discrimination, those are sin matters, right? And so that's what we want to then think of biblically, what do you do when people sin against each other? And sometimes peer-to-peer -peer sin against each other. Sometimes a superior sins against an inferior, talking in terms of, of authority structures, and sometimes vice versa. The people who are under that authority sin against the person in the authority. Biblically, that's true. What are some principles for how we can resolve these things? And so uh, let me um, say that there are Two big approaches when someone sins, when you believe someone sinned against you. Sort of there's 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 a, a decision-making factor you need to you need to think about. Okay, I believe someone sinned against me. What should I do? And there's at least two uh, big picture options for you. One is is you could overlook the matter and cover it in love. The other option is I'll just look at Matthew 18. And you can pursue the steps and process that Matthew 18 says to seek reconciliation. And Jenny asked the question last week, and I'll try to touch on it at a few points, and particularly after I look at some passages of, 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 along the sorts, but sometimes you're dealing with non-Christians as well. And that adds a whole extra aspect to it, too. We'll see how far we get on this, but, but let's let's start. So big picture, two things you can do. You could, you could overlook it in love. Or you could pursue working through and finding reconciliation through a Matthew 18 process. We're talking about one person sinning against another. Uh, turn with me to uh, Proverbs 19.11. Zoe, would you read Proverbs 19, verse 11, please? So, again, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, things that are proverbially true, and wisdom has to know when and how to apply it. 
And as I'll continue to make the point, there are times in which overlooking the sin isn't what's best in the situation. Right? Um, just broadly speaking, if, um, if you have learned that your neighbor murdered uh, their spouse, don't think glorious of yourself. Just, just overlook that. No, call the cops, right? There are definitely there are definitely times where overlooking it is not what's best for society, for justice, for the person, for safety of others. Um, but there is a principle that, in general, it's 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 good if I want to be. Um, um, this isn't the right way to put it, but thick skin. Uh, that's not the right way to put it. It's not about being thick-skinned. It's about it's about showing forgiveness and grace and mercy to people who've done something against you. It is actually to your glory, in a general sense, to be that way. It is uh, even wise to be slow to anger. And so we see this principle here. Uh, turn over to First Peter four eight. Same, same idea, 1 Peter 4, 8. Sabine, can you read 1 Peter 4, 8 for us? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Good. <coughs> um, love covers just seven sins, right? You get to eight. How many times do I forgive my brother? Right? So, so love covers a multitude of sins. You're covering language. You're thinking atonement. You're thinking, you're thinking uh, instead of punishing the person, I will cover it so I don't see it anymore. I will forgive it. I will release it. I will not hold it against them. And so that is a very Christian idea. Because the gospel says what, Zoe, in terms of us being uh, our relationship before God in terms of sin? What does the gospel say? Um, We're guilty. And does God give us what we deserve? No, why not? That's right. Christ died to forgive us of our sins so that we would not have our sins counted against us, but would have it covered in love. And the scripture says, if we've so known such forgiveness, we ought to be of all people most forgiving of others. Right? And so, again, there is definitely a time and a place not to overlook sin. I'm going to talk about that next, but, but this has to be an important aspect of consideration. And I think it's a challenge in woke thinking is that um, we, we are going to tell people this message. And we're going to tell people in all circumstances this message. And that means that we're going to tell people who are in positions of authority this, Institutions of peer relationships, this, and people who are under authority, this. And so sometimes in translation over time, how that's worked out is so and so who is under authority in your church was sinned against, abused, they'll probably say, and you just told them to shut up and be quiet. Probably how it would come out, right? Which isn't, of course, what we would have said, right? And, 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 Again, in many cases, overlooking, simply overlooking, isn't what's best or appropriate, but there is certainly a time and certainly a place where we need to be overlooking the things that people do to us. And if we don't, if we were to live out like, like biblical principles of confronting sin, which is a biblical principle too, right? Overlooking sin is a principle. Confronting sin is a principle. And I've seen churches like this where like they're really good really good at the confronting sin part and it's like it's like you're on eggshells when you're in the church because you say just the wrong little wording and boom that's not right repent or you do just the not right thing you need to ask for my forgiveness you know it's just this sort of environment where you're just being called out for every little sin 
And, and that's not to say we take sin lightly, but it is to remind ourselves it's actually the glory of ourselves to overlook matters and to be a place where, where mercy and grace is really being promoted. Uh, Dean, I saw your hand there. Well, just in the, in the woke movement, they will not forgive the founding fathers of slavery. And there's no room for mercy, grace, recognizing the good that they did, one strike and you're out. There's, uh, Bodhi Bakken talks about that, the, the essence of the woke movement. There's no room for redemption, grace, forgiveness, or mercy. If you sin, one strike and you're out. And what, what a dark world, what an unhappy world that is. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's also just a, one extra thought there. It's also, um, um, that's the case, woke thinking typically for the as they would call them, the oppressor, the people in authority. On the other hand, if you are the oppressed, the people under authority, it's almost like you have a get out of jail free card for endless sins that you might do. You know, uh, it's it's uh, yeah, you know, all that violence and stuff. But but they were oppressed, and this is you know, so so um, we have to that this is part of the justice problem. Of, of, of some of this woke ideology. Um, all right, let's turn it over to uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. <clears throat> Jeff, would you read Matthew 18, 15 through 20 for us? I know you've got a nice loud voice, so that's why I'm empowering you in the back there. To... Okay, Matthew. 1815. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if, we, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Good, thank you. So um, this is, we often refer to in Christian circles as the Matthew 18 approach. So if anyone, uh, you're ever having a conversation with another Christian and you're looking for advice on how to work through a conflict and someone asks you, how well have you done Matthew 18? They're, they're driving you back to think about this passage. They're driving you back to say, there's these principles of when there is a conflict with someone that uh, you you try to work with that person directly and only begin to expand it out further if you can't find biblical reconciliation. Uh, you know, this is, uh, unfortunately, uh, too often the exact opposite of what you find out there in some of the ways that the world tries to deal with conflict. Um, so long before the internet, long before social media, right? If, if you're at a conflict with someone, in other words, this is saying, you have a conflict, this person, this person, don't go around to all your other friends, neighbors, and other people that know him or her, and mention how bump of a deal they've got, you got from this person, right? Instead, go to the person. Because otherwise, it's gossip and slander is, is where you're going to end up if you go the other route. Just go around bad-mouthing uh, people to one another. And so um, we want to think of the wisdom here. Put yourself in the shoes of the person uh, who's, who's the other side of it. If someone has something against you, they think that you've done something wrong to them. Wouldn't you want them to come to you instead of going around bad-mouthing you all over? Especially if you don't agree with what they think. Which is, I, I think, a very important consideration. See, there's there's judges in the world, right? And 
when you have particularly a peer versus peer, right? You're not their judge, just as they're not your judge. And so if you have a conflict, you're not king to, to, to give the uh, inerrant, infallible uh, description of the, of, the, of the matter. You've got your perspective, they've got their perspective, and maybe you can work it out. And if you can't, ultimately there is grounds and means to help you work it out. But you need to be careful to not go around and declaring that person uh, you know, guilty uh, before you've actually done biblical process to try to work it out. So, so step one in Matthew 18 is you, you go to the person and you say, brother, I, I feel you've, you, you, you've wronged me in this particular instance. And you try to work it out. And notice it says if, if, if they don't listen, take one or two others along with you. Uh, there's a great book on this, by the way, Peacemakers by Ken Sandy. S-A-N-D-E. Peacemakers. If you want to sort of take the ideas that I'm giving you in this lesson and probably a little bit of next week as well, uh, of biblical reconciliation, biblical peacemaking, that book really will put meat on what we're talking about today and next week. But when it says that they don't listen to you, it doesn't mean, surely it doesn't mean, you make some quick little catch them as they're walking out the door. You wouldn't want to work with me on resolving the way you sinned against me horribly, would you? No? All right, I'm going to go bring the two witnesses in. Do you guys see what I was trying to do there? Uh, uh, you need to make a concerted effort and a wise effort and possibly a repeated effort before you just check off, I did this one little step and move on to step two. You should actually make real concerted efforts. If you have a conflict with someone, you think they did something wrong with you, you should probably be putting some thought like, what's a, what's a good way in which I can have a conversation with them about this? What might be a good spot to have a conversation with them? You know, just as a silly example, if you have something against your pastor, just as he's walking up for the, the to preach on, the, on Sunday, that's not a great time to say, hey, pastor, I need to work on this with you. Uh, you put thought into, into where and how, and again, I would recommend and advise multiple efforts on that stage one to see if you can get it worked out. Because the reality is, practically speaking, my experience when you talk to someone and you lovingly try to tell them that they did something wrong, often the very first reaction is defense. No, 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 no. And you go and have a conversation later with them again, sort of follow. I'd like to follow up on that. Suddenly they thought about your position. They heard what you said and they began to soften where they were at. And maybe you begin to have some real reconciliation. And so, um, there are times where you need to not simply overlook a matter, and we'll talk about that more next week, but then go through this process beginning first with trying to work it out directly, and then only after that bringing some witnesses who can help sort of observe, witness, and potentially help as mediators or arbitrators in some capacity. We'll talk about that a little more next week too. And then only after that, uh, if, if need be, ultimately to bring it into the, the church level, which I would think is really, we'll talk as well next week about sort of more formal church, uh, uh, potential church discipline. Um, so we're out of time for today. I'm introducing you all. We'll continue to delve into next week and really just kind of focus on some of these biblical principles of, of reconciliation. And after that, we're going to be starting to wrap up our series on being awake and outwoke with a few little final concluding thoughts I want us to think through. Uh, but that's that's where we're headed. So let me close this in prayer. Uh, dear God, thank you so much for uh, this thought of justice. Lord, you have forgiven us of so much. Help us to forgive others and help us, Lord, to be people of justice in the biblical sense. Uh, Lord, uh, even as we look to be merciful and gracious as well. Uh, bless us as we take a break and prepare for worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.